This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Circle to Hedman. Tease it up. Shoot! Score! Hedman! The Lightning win it! They win it again in overtime! This series is over! The Lightning win it! 3-2! It's double overtime! And they're on to the Eastern Conference Final! Pretty incredible when you think about it. The Tampa Bay Lightning once again going to another Eastern Conference Final, and they earned it last night. It wasn't their best game. In fact, you can make a case it was their worst game of that Bruins series, but a sign of a really good team is winning when you don't play your best. And for as good as Yaroslav Halak was in Game 5, Andre Vasilevsky was just a bit better. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli, along with my partner, the man who called the game yesterday, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick also joining us as well. Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com will join us in segment two. We'll get his thoughts on this series against Boston and Tampa Bay's chances now of advancing to the Stanley Cup final. But Dave, let me bring you in and... There's a lot of things we want to hit on today for sure, whether it's individual performances, whether it's face-offs, whether it's whatever we want to discuss, getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I thought a really gut-check win for Tampa Bay, factoring in the injuries they were dealing with, playing against the desperate opponent, taking their best shot, and finding a way to win in five games against a pretty good opponent. There is a lot to unpack from game five. And we usually unpack a lot after every game, but <laughs> compare this, let's say, to game three, which, you know, we talked about the Lightning's power play proficiency in game three, but the narrative of game three was was a fairly straightforward one. And we were wondering maybe would there be a carryover to game four or what would the effect be moving forward in the series? There was so much going on in last night's game, and we can certainly get into the particulars both before we talk to Mike and after. But let me start here. What you said about Game 5 in this series, and I don't disagree, the Bruins had a really good start in Game 1, but they were really effective for long stretches in Game 5. And I think it's fair to say that that might have been the Lightning's toughest game in the series. We said the same thing about Game 5 against Columbus. Certainly defensively in that Columbus series, Game 5 was the Lightning's worst game in that series. And so the common denominator is the reason we say the fourth win is the hardest to get, particularly when you are not facing elimination and your opponent is. And often it's that first game. Because a team may stave off elimination once, but it's hard to do that multiple times, which is why, you know, getting a 3-0 lead in a series or a 3-1 lead in a series usually leads to that team winning. But last night we saw a disparity between the teams for much of the second period and certainly in the first overtime. The Bruins were carrying play like they had not done consistently since the start of game one. So how are the Lightning able to get through it? Well, you mentioned Vasilevsky. He was a big part of it. 
And I thought they hung in there defensively. So it was, again, a situation where, and this is a difference from game five against Columbus, where Columbus had, how many scoring chances did the Blue Jackets have in that second period? They had 24 shots. They scored two goals. They probably had upwards of 12 to 13 scoring chances in the second period alone. The Bruins had chances last night, but they didn't have as many as maybe you might expect them to have given their possession advantage and how poorly the Lightning were managing the puck. And another part that helped out the Lightning, you mentioned face-offs. The Lightning had a lot of face-offs when the Bruins were surging. The Lightning had a lot of defensive zone face-offs. And they had by far their best game in the series in the dot. And so the fact that they were winning a lot of face-offs helped offset the Bruins' territorial advantage. And it wasn't for the whole game, Greg, but it was definitely the case after the Lightning grabbed a one nothing lead. And you could see it. It happened in the Columbus series, too. When a team is facing elimination and they fall behind, it's almost like, all right, boys, we need to get this back now. And credit to both the Blue Jackets and Bruins, they fought back hard. And I think the Bruins deserve a lot of credit for their resiliency coming from behind not once but twice to get that game tied. So the second period was not great for the Lightning. The third period I thought was more evenly played, but the Lightning couldn't seal it when they got the lead. A little bit of a bad break on the tying goal for Krejci. And the Bruins really roared into that first overtime. And hearing Coop talk afterward, Greg, and you don't often hear a coach say his his players are tired. But basically, Coop said a lot of our guys were gassed in the first overtime. And he used that statement to draw a comparison to how much the Lightning found another gear in the second overtime, which was much more evenly played. I know the Lightning had a big shot advantage, 7-1 in the second overtime. But some of that disparity was due to the fact that the Bruins missed the net on some shot attempts that were fairly dangerous. But there's no question the second overtime was much more evenly played than the first overtime. And Coop said, you know, the Bruins players might have started to get a little tired too, but he also credited his group, especially the forwards, and we can get into this when Kucherov didn't play a lot and you only dress 11 forwards, you're down to 10. The Lightning found a way to dig deep and level the ice in that second overtime even though they were tired, which the coach said, I'm not saying that, particularly the forwards, because they were short. And that helped them, I think, be in a position to have a long extended offensive zone shift, which right. is exactly what happened right before Victor Hedman scored. Yep. And, you know, like you're going to face adversity throughout a game, throughout a series. And the Lightning certainly did that. You mentioned Kucherov being out for portions of the game. Of course, they were playing without Steven Stamkos. They go 11-7. and seven. It was good to see Ryan McDonough back in the lineup. I actually thought he looked pretty good. He was outstanding. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I, he, I, was, he was, he was so good in that game. Yeah. And that, that was huge. And But you factor, you factor all those injuries and the fact that McDonough playing in his first game in a little bit. Vasilevsky was their best player. I mean, Dave, in overtime, the first overtime, makes that stop on Lindholm down the middle without a stick. Yeah. <laughs> McAvoy as well. I mean, again, I was I don't want to say I was hard on Halak. I just simply said I thought that was going to be the different one of the big differences in the series. I just thought the goaltending edge favored Tampa Bay much more than it did Boston. But Halak, I thought to his credit, played maybe his best game of the series. He was phenomenal right from the start. 
Yeah. And he was dealing with some one-timers, uh, whether it was, you know, Kalorn, Sorelli, you know, Pilat. I mean, how many saves did he have on Andre Pilat? Andre Pilat, I'm not joking when I tell you, he <laughs> yes. could have had seven goals. Yeah. He could Bill have had and I seven were joking there. afterward. Uh, I actually brought it up because Pilat and Hedman combined to score nine goals in the series. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Pilat had five and Hedman had four. I'm like, that's like a Phil Esposito line from right. a couple of playoff games when you were playing for the Bruins in the 70s. And we were joking about a, yeah. a game against Toronto they had in the playoffs. The Bruins won 10 nothing. He said, yeah, I think I had three or four goals in that game. But you're not, you're not exaggerating when you say no, I'm not. Pilat scored one. But he could have had upwards of five or six goals. And that was another weird part about this game. As much as the Lightning struggled for long stretches with turnovers, puck management, icings, the Bruins are pressing. And the Lightning, through the better part of two periods, had not generated a lot of shots on net. They picked that up in the third, and and then the game went into double overtime. So their shot total clearly went up because there was more hockey that was still played. But I remember at one point Phil was grumbling that the Lightning only had maybe 11 shots, 12 shots, and we were well into the latter part of the second period. And that was true. But of those 11 or 12 shots, mm-hmm. the Lightning had like six or seven or eight yeah. phenomenal scoring chances in addition to some attempts that that were not on net, like Kucherov hit the post right, right off the bat. So it was just a strange game in that way that the Lightning really weren't at their best, but they still generated Palat in particular, but other guys too. Kalorn, you mentioned early in the game, Kucherov, a couple that he had before he ended up getting hurt. The Lightning easily could have blown the game open, yes. you know, in the first period, but didn't because Halak was terrific. I mean, could could you blame Halak on any no. of the goals? Two were None. tipped. And the winning goal, he's completely screened by Maroon. I mean, it went under through him, I guess, you know, off his right arm. But, I mean, that's that's a really tough save in that situation. Sure. And and he gave his team every opportunity to, to win that game. He was terrific. Yeah, he was. And he was not the reason why Boston lost that series. I'll say that. But uh, Vasilevsky was a big reason why Tampa Bay did. And uh, Tampa Bay moves on to another Eastern Conference final. Pretty incredible. When you take a look at their track record over the last six, seven years, getting to an Eastern Conference final. We'll talk to Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. He's been covering the series, and we'll get his thoughts on the Lightning and the prospects of advancing beyond the Eastern Conference finals to another Stanley Cup. And how long will Kucherov be out? Hopefully we get a good update today and everything's okay with him, and we'll kind of go from there. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Glad you're with us here recapping the Lightning's series win against the Boston Bruins. A couple of overtimes last night, and the Lightning now advanced to another Eastern Conference final. I am Greg Lunelli along with Dave Mishkin, and joining us right now, he's been covering this series and so much more from NHL.com. We've had him on before. We always enjoy his expertise and analysis, Mike Zeisberger. Mike, first off, great to be with you. And boy, the Lightning, another thrilling win. They didn't play their best, Mike, but they found a way to win against a really good team. And that's a sign of a really good team if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it is. And thanks for uh, having me on, guys. And uh, first of all, to you and um, your families and, and the families of your listeners, uh, obviously, I uh, hope everybody is safe and healthy in these uh, unsettled times. But yeah, what a game last night. And you know what? I mean, there's just a different vibe around this Tampa Bay Lightning team, I feel. And the fact that, you know, just what you guys said, I mean, last night was a game that if you went by the flow of play, uh, you probably think that they should have lost, but they found a way to win. And that hasn't always been the case uh, with this Lightning team for the past, uh, you know, few years. And especially when you look at the storylines last night, I mean, no Stamkos, no Kucherov, and in the end, no problem. Um, because the guy that I I tweeted about this, I tweeted about it last week, um, I think that Victor Hedman is the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. I know that's up for debate. I know most people think that he's in the top, you know, three to five defensemen. But for me, when you look that with those two stars out of the lineup, the way that he controlled the game at the at both ends of the ice, and then when it mattered the, the most, when the moment called for a hero, it was Victor Hedman that scored that goal. I just think that... Uh, you know, we always knew he was good. He obviously won the Norris Trophy um, a year ago. But, you know, you watch the way that he, he came to the forefront last night when two of his most skilled teammates weren't in the lineup. Um, I think that's that's enough proof for me by far. It's funny you mentioned that, Mike, because John Cooper mentioned postgame. And how infrequent is it for a coach to say, yeah, my players were tired <laughs> And coaches never say that, but Coop admitted yeah. that, particularly at the forward position. He talked about how some players you might need to to manage their minutes because you know they may hit a wall, which was a very frank admission as well. He didn't mention those players, but one guy he said he doesn't have to worry about his headman, who never seems to run out of energy, and he played almost 40 minutes last night, which probably goes into the equation as well. Uh, I wanted to get your perspective on the Lightning because I mean, you talk about being in the bubble. We're kind of in the, the Lightning bubble because we see every minute of every game this team plays. Your perspective is different because you're covering the league as a whole. And you had just talked about the difference you saw in, in last night's game and how the Lightning handled it. But what are you seeing as, as some of the biggest differences between the Lightning team this year and in years past? Well, I think that Coop has, has talked about this on, on various occasions as as the Lightning have gone deeper into these playoffs is the fact that they have a different personality. And I think the quote that he's used is, is um, there's a dirt under the fingernail aspect of this team that there wasn't really before. And I go back to guys uh, when at the trade deadline when I was down um, in Tampa for it. And I remember talking to Julian Brisbois at the time because the Lightning paid, um, you know, a, a fairly hefty price to get uh, Barkley Goudreau uh, in, in, on the trade market. And what what Brisbois told me was the fact that Goudreau was a guy that they had identified ahead of time as having the, uh, an aspect of, of hockey that the Lightning really didn't have. Um, and the same goes for Pat Maroon, who, by the way, um, you know, for his, I, I'm not sure if he's making 800000 or or close to a million, but 
um, you know, all things considered, uh, he's near the bottom of the pay scale in the National Hockey League. How how so many teams passed on this guy uh, in free agency last year, I don't know how or why, but I think that was another uh, key deal for the Lightning. And obviously getting Blake Coleman. And Brisbois said these were guys that the Lightning had identified beforehand as, like I said, bringing a different aspect to the team. And that's what I see. This Lightning team is so flexible in terms of the way they can play. And what they're kind of sending a message to the opposition is that you want to go end-to-end, we can play that way. You want to play, you know, uh, sandpaper-type hockey, we can play that now too. And and you look at all those guys. You look at Maroon. You look at Goodrow. Um, you look at Coleman. Okay, these guys are guys that can go into the corner with somebody, and you're fairly confident that they're going to come out with the puck. Um, and the other thing that we, we've seen is that they also have an offensive upside. This isn't just, these aren't just three guys that were brought into the mix, um, you know, just to be checkers. Uh, because they, you know, especially you, you watch Maroon on the power play, which I think is great that they employ him there. He causes all kinds of chaos in front of the net where a lot of the greasy goals are scored. So um, I just think that, you know, like I said, there's a different vibe to this team. And I just see this, unlike a lot of other years, uh, the Lightning being the type of team that can play whatever way the opposition decides they want to do it. And uh, they can be successful at it, which we've already seen. What's interesting, Mike, you bring that up, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. I was going to ask you if the additions the Lightning has made over the last year or so, there is no perfect team in the salary cap era, but is it fair to say there isn't a weakness outside of maybe injuries right now for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I I would say that. I mean, we saw the we saw the depth. Uh, you know, when uh, when 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 McDonough couldn't play uh, with Luke Shen and, and uh, you know Braden Coburn coming in, and they didn't miss a, They didn't miss a beat. Uh, so that shows you that they're good on defense. They're 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 they have great depth, um, but. As you pointed out, I mean, they got one of the best goalies in the world, if not the best. But you, you just start to wonder, I mean, even with that depth, when you take guys like uh, Kucherov and Stamkos out of the lineup, that's, that's, that's very, very difficult um, to overcome. So hopefully uh, we find out uh, a little bit more uh, about Kucherov's status today. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure... I'm sure the Lightning, you know, Cooper kind of kind of uh, acknowledged this last night, but uh, you know, I think the Lightning are probably uh, cheering for the Philadelphia Flyers tonight, not because against the Islanders, not because that they think that they have a better chance against the Flyers, but the longer this series goes, the more time the Lightning have to heal. Um, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is such a well-rounded team. Um, You know, it's a team that I picked to win the Stanley Cup at the beginning of the season and then uh, at the beginning of the playoffs. Now, I've done that for the last three years. So, you know, uh, knock on wood, maybe third time's a charm. But I do think that this is the most well-rounded Lightning team that I've seen in a long time. Whenever a playoff series ends, Mike, you can go back and look at, at several different components that factored in. 
and that's true with this series that just ended with the Lightning and Bruins as well. But it was curious to me for for one of those keys, the Bruins had such a great team defense during the regular season. They led the NHL in fewest goals allowed per game. And that's everyone pulling on the rope. All four lines, six defensemen, their goaltending is is really good. Yet in the series, the Lightning were able to break down that Boston team defense and generate grade-A scoring chances, breakaways, two-on-ones. Even last night's game where the Lightning didn't have as much of the, the possession time, they still were able to get guys open in front. How surprised were you that the Lightning were able to kind of pull the Bruins out of their identity and exploit that part of Boston's game? Well, I, I mean, I think that, uh, and I, I don't have the game by games here, but I think that for a lot of times, the Lightning had leads in the series, um, you know, except for at the beginning. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, I think the turning point, and I think it's pretty easy to see, uh, was Palat's overtime winner in game two. Uh, because the Bruins obviously win game one. That was a game that the Lightning chased for a lot of the for the lot of the yeah. game. They never had the lead, um, and I'm pretty sure that was the same thing in in Game Two until they until it went to overtime. So, but it seemed that after that, that that the confidence in Tampa Bay just started accruing, and you know the the best way to get a team, especially a defensive oriented team like Boston, out of its game is have them chase the game. And, you know, when, when Boston has to start to take chances, I think that goes to what you were saying about uh, the Lightning uh, being able to create these odd mad rushes. Um, and, and the other thing is, I mean, and I continue to be just blown away by this kid is, is Braden Point. I mean, he had shifts where, you know, there were some great players on the ice. I mean, Marchant and Bergeron. And you couldn't take your eyes off him. Um, his skating, his puck handling, his ability. I mean, he has 18 points in the playoffs now. But his ability to uh, control the game along with Hedman uh, was just so so impressive to me. And you saw um, how many goals that the Lightning generated uh, from those odd man rushes, um, you know, after the Bruins were pushing hard. A lot of times generated uh, by... Braden Point. Although we can't forget, guys, that one end-to-end rush by Zach Bogosian. Um, you know, some of the guys were joking that they're going to start calling him Robert Gordon uh, Bogosian after Robert Gordon Orr. So, but uh, you know, he had his moment, and that was the thing for the Lightning. So many guys, and I talk about Point and Hedman, and and Pilot, of course, too. But so many guys on the Lightning had those quote-unquote moments, and that's what you need. Um, to win a playoff series, you can't depend on just two or three guys. Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Mike, are you surprised the Lightning are doing this without Steven Stamkos? And can they win a cup without him? I mean, I think they can. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a five-inch putt to say that uh, they have a better chance with them. Um I think I think because of their because of their emphasis on defensive play now, um, yeah, sure, you can win that way. Uh, can they win it if it, if it would come to pass that they don't have Stamkos and Kucherov? That's where I start getting major concerns because as good as 
as good as Point has been, as good as Palat has been, um, those two guys are obviously game changers. And so I think that would make it uh, very difficult to accomplish. Um, from a personal standpoint, I mean, I've known Steven since he was in, in junior hockey. Um, I know his dad, Chris, uh, very well. Uh, Steven grew up uh, just north of where I did, um, you know, in, in the Toronto area. Uh, he grew up in, in Markham. And, you know, I, I, I feel bad for him because, we're, you know, you look at what this guy has gone through. I mean, the 2000, uh, you know, uh, the Olympics in 2010 when he got hurt just before or, or you know, several months before the Olympics and, and, and couldn't go. Uh, we all remember the, uh, you know, clot issues that he had, um, you know, in the playoffs. Uh, I believe it was 2015. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but this guy has endured uh, a lot of bad luck. And those of us that know him, as in, you know, like you guys do and like I do, um, there's no guy that wants to win more or is more of a team player than Steven Stamkos. And it was interesting... Um, you know, listening to Victor Hedman talk about that because he said, you know, Stephen is still the biggest cheerleader on this team, even though he's not playing. Um, he's always there, uh, you know, despite his own his, his own personal disappointments. He's always there for any teammates uh, to help them, to give them advice. Uh, and I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it, it, he, he's gone through some pretty tough luck uh, and you know, we don't know where it stands, but hopefully, uh, you know, for him, uh, the Lightning's trip through the playoffs uh, continues to go deep, and maybe we do see him um, later on in, in in the postseason. Certainly, everyone on the Lightning side hopes that that is the case. Mike, I wanted to, to ask you a question more, an overview of these playoffs and Colorado won last night, so that series is 3-2. But as it stands right now, there has only been one series, and that was in the play-in round, that went the distance. That was Columbus and Toronto. And every year is different, and some years we have more series that go deep than others. But it does seem like it's a little strange that we haven't had Game 7s or a lot of Game 5s in the, in the play-in round. Are you surprised by the fact that a lot of these series are ending earlier than later. Here's what I am surprised at is that, you know, when the concept of this play of this format in the playoffs first came up and, and I'm sure you guys were like, like, like we were up here uh, when, when it, this started getting talked about like in eight back in April, when the pandemic was still, you know, new and fresh, it was like, is this, you know, are they serious? Is this, uh, they going to be able to pull this off? I mean, nobody's even thinking about sports. So, but as it got closer and more realistic, you're thinking, well, you know, guys have, are going through the pandemic and then having to go through, a, you know, into a bubble, um, you know, two, two, two hub cities, there probably would be enough external factors that would say that, you know, this is a year where, you know, a, a lower ranked teams. I mean, you know, look at the, the Montreal Canadiens won in the first round uh, or, or in the qualifying round. They wouldn't have even been 
in the playoffs uh, had the had the regular season. You know, they probably wouldn't have been if the regular season had gone 82 games. Same with the Chicago Blackhawks, and they upset the Edmonton Oilers. So, you know, you're starting to think, well, is it going to be some kind of fluky team that just gets hot at the right time? But actually, the opposite has happened. You look at the teams right now, and all the teams that got the buys, uh, except for Vancouver and the Islanders, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think those were the only two teams uh, that didn't have buys. The other six did have the buys. So wh- I think what you're seeing in, in, in Dallas and, and, and Vegas, uh, obviously uh, Colorado, Tampa and Boston, uh, and the Flyers, who were the teams that you know got the automatic burst uh, into, the, into the playoffs, what you're seeing is the cream is rising to the top. And I, I wasn't sure that, that, you know, in these environments that would happen. Um, but the best teams are being the best teams and the best teams are having success. So, you know, in one way, yeah, I, I am surprised that there hasn't been more game sevens. But at the same time, you can't argue with the teams that are advancing. And, and you know, every year we have these big, big upsets and, and, you know, we saw that with the Lightning last year. But, you know, for the most part, I don't think we've seen that this year. And that, that to me, has been fascinating that, like I said, the cream has really risen to the top and the best teams have been the best teams. Mike, we'll leave you with this. Again, we're here with Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. In your opinion, who is the best team remaining? Is it the Lightning? You know what? I mean, if here, when Kucherov, if, if, Kucherov, can, if Kucherov can play, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, uh, like the lightning, uh, as being one of the, you know, if not probably the best all around team, uh, that's left. Uh, I, I really like Vegas. I think they're the closest ones. I did pick, uh, at the beginning of the playoffs guys, I picked the Tampa Bay Colorado final with Tampa winning, but when, um, you know, when their goaltender went down, when Grubauer went down. Um, you know, all you have to do is watch what's going on in that Dallas, uh, Colorado series. Uh, you know, Frank Coos was not good. And, and then obviously he's unfit to play. And Michael Hutchison, uh, came in last night and, and won, but, uh, you know, he was the backup in Toronto and, and as great a guy as he is, he was not very good here. So I can't see them winning the cup with goaltending like that. So right now, um, I think that the Lightning uh, and the Vegas Golden Knights are, are the two best and most well-rounded teams that are left in this. And, you know, uh, like I said, again, I mean, it, it's I don't mean to be harping on this, but the guy is such a good player. Uh, you know, a lot of that is contingent on Kucherov's health. And if there's any way that the Lightning ever got Stamkos back, I just think that th- that would that would push them over the top because uh, we've seen how good they are defensively. We see that they can play with grit. We've seen the depth. Um, and to get that kind of elite scorer and leader back, uh, I just think would be, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. Well, Mike, we have enjoyed the sit-down. We've enjoyed reading your articles and your coverage during uh, these playoffs. And hopefully we'll do it again real soon. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I hope everybody's uh, safe down there and uh, 
please call anytime. The deeper the lightning go, uh, the more I'd love to chat with you guys about it. So thank you Absolutely. very much for having me. You got thank it, Mike. You, Mike. Stay safe out there. All right, Mike Zeisberger joining us from NHL.com. If you want to react to anything Mike had to say, you certainly can. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Back with more analysis with Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us. Thanks again to Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com, who joined us in that previous segment. I am Greg Linelli, along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Versnick is producing, and it was pretty interesting, Dave, talking about the Lightning with Mike and injuries probably for him is going to be the deciding factor in terms of, you know, who he thinks would win it all, but very high on the lightning. And I, I think the one thing we've seen this year, it, it has been noticeable is that, you know, they're not perfect, but they are much better defensively and they are harder to play against. And I also think they've had some guys who've had some bounce back years that have made this possible. You know, we talked about motivated players on the back end, whether that's Shattenkirk or whether that's Bogosian, even a guy like Coburn getting a chance to play when he's been sitting during these play- playoffs has been remarkable. But also, too, you know, guys like Yanni Gord and Andre Pilat, who, you know, rebounded this year after what happened last year. And I, I think you need that to to win a Stanley Cup. You need that hunger to get back and get over the hump. And we've seen the Lightning get really close. Pat Maroon talked about it uh, before Game 5, about, you know, look, he was basically brought in to get these guys to understand what it takes to win a cup and get over that mindset of you got to play hard and be physical. And John Cooper said, look, we, we brought some guys in at the trade deadline to make us be tougher. And it really, I think, stood out these last two playoff series where the Lightning have been able to play a certain way at times and come out on top. And I'm not sure we could have said that in previous years. Well, you used the word hunger or hungry, and that was the exact word that Victor Hedman used post-game last night. He was asked the question, I think by Eric Erlinson, what is the difference in his mind this year as opposed to some other years? And he said, we're a hungry team. Or how, how the Lightning had success maybe was the question through the first two rounds or how did they beat the Bruins I should go back and listen to the question it was one of those but basically it's the same question like how are the Lightning doing it right now and Victor said we're a hungry team and I think you hit the nail on the head individuals are hungry and collectively as a group the Lightning are a hungry team now they have had games where they've been much crisper than they were say last night for a good portion of it but the fact that they're able to hang in there when things are not going their way, I think speaks to maybe some of their maturity as a team. Because like Mike in the interview talked about, I don't know that they in past years would have won a game like last night's game in prior years. And I was actually thinking, well, unfortunately for the Lightning, in too many games in prior years, they kind of relied on making some plays and relying on the goalie, which is kind of the formula they used last night. But I think the difference is that really outside of that game five against Columbus, even when the Lightning have struggled with the puck, 
generally they have not struggled so much without the puck. And when you are playing your position well and hard without the puck, you are maybe ceding possession to the other team, but you're not allowing them to exploit that possession advantage. And that, I think, has been a difference in that we look at Vasilevsky, and he was great yesterday, there's no question, and he did have some scoring chances against, and when the Bruins surged, he was there, he was a rock, you can't fault him on either goal that the Bruins scored. But I still maintain that for the Bruins' possession advantage, the lopsided nature of it in the second period and most of the first overtime, that the other periods were were more even. But specifically those two periods, the Lightning did hold the Bruins' scoring chance number down. And I think that that is not insignificant to this overall point about how they are playing maybe a little bit differently uh, in terms of how they're approaching things. Yeah, and you know, it was speaking of approaching things differently and and having those type of performances in the playoffs. Boy, it was good to see Anthony Sorelli get a goal last night, wasn't it, Dave? You know, it's he's one of those guys that you feel like hasn't gotten going yet. Just I, I think for various reasons, it could be because defensively, what he's been able to do, or just you know, some guys. Are playing well. Some guys don't. That's just kind of the nature, I think, of of sports. But he's a a very important part to what this Lightning team wants to do. And that was a heck of a deflection yes. to give the Lightning a lead. And that was good to see. And hopefully for him, and even his line. And we'll see what the line combinations will be. You know, if if Kucherov's out, if he's not, how things will play out. If they want to continue to go eleven and seven, uh, who knows what John Cooper will do? But you know, Sorelli, we know what he can do defensively, but, you know, part of his game, too, is being a, a very good offensive player, and that was good to see the deflection last night give Tampa Bay a brief lead. Phil and I were chatting before the third period during the intermission, and when Kucherov left in the second, Maroon took his spot for a few shifts with point and plot. And so Phil and I were chatting and wondering how the Lightning would handle going with 10 to 10 forwards, assuming Kucherov would not be able to return. And at that point, we didn't know if he would be able to return. But if he was unable to return, and it turned out he was not able to return, how would the Lightning construct their lines? Understanding that at that point, the game was tied and he may have overtime, and we did have overtime, and it went almost two full extra periods in overtime, and the Lightning were short, at the forward position because they dressed 11 and Kucherov did not play a lot last night. We were wondering if they would move Tyler Johnson onto that line with point and plot because there's a lot of familiarity there. Those three players have played together as a line before. For long stretches, they've had success as a line. And then maybe because with 10 forwards, you have three lines, but then one extra forward. And really you have, You have Maroon and Paquette, who were part of the quote-unquote fourth line when the game started with a roving third winger or a rotating third winger. Maybe they would replace Johnson on the Sorelli-Kalorn line, like Maroon takes one shift and then maybe Paquette takes the next shift. Well, the Lightning kind of did that. They they did use that quote-unquote second line 
to rotate Maroon and Paquette. And there were a few shifts where Maroon and Paquette were together and then say Kalorn was out there with them and maybe Johnson was out there with them. But they didn't move Johnson onto the point line. They moved Sorelli. And I don't know that I can remember a time when Point, Palat, and Sorelli played together as a line. But I thought they were not only effective, and clearly Sorelli scored a goal, I think it helped Sorelli. I think Sorelli looked more like Sorelli, frankly, in the third period and the overtimes in terms of his his hunger for pucks, his doggedness on pucks. I mean, that's really what we talk about when we praise Sorelli, that he's on when he's defending, he's on the guy with the puck. When it's a 50-50 puck, he's he's like a dog with a bone. Like he just he makes sure that if he's not getting the puck, it's going to be a really tough battle for the guy who's going to end up winning it. And often Sorelli wins it. And he is strong in the puck. He is hard in the puck. It's hard to get the puck away from Sorelli. And to the extent that the Sorelli line with Kalorn and Johnson, I feel like they haven't quite hit their stride yet. And some of it's been the assignments they've had. I mean, certainly drawing the Bergeron line as a matchup assignment was tough, although as the series progressed, I think Yanni Gord's line saw more of Bergeron's line. Certainly that was the case last night. That was as much when Sorelli went with Point and Palat, as much as Sorelli has looked like Sorelli. I don't know any other way to put it. But, I mean, that's a compliment to him. And you mentioned the goal. I I hope it helps just him to to get back to the level that we've come to expect. And it's not like he's had a huge drop-off. But he plays at such a high level that I'm not sure that he's found that yet in this playoff year consistently. He's had moments, and he scored some big goals. And Kalorn has scored some big goals, too. And we talked about that in terms of that line doing more. I think you brought that up early in the Boston series. And they've scored some big goals. But maybe a game like last night, will help Sorelli's overall game in terms of him being just that dog with a bone on pucks. And we don't know what's going to happen with with Kucherov. We'll we'll have to monitor that situation. Certainly the Lightning, at the very least, will get a couple of days off, even if the Islanders close out their series tonight. But if Sorelli ends up, you know, going back with with Kalorn and Johnson, let's hope that he can play as effectively as he did for the the latter part of last night's game. Because I thought he was really good with with point and plot. Dave, before we sign off, I'm curious, and let me get this question in from Alan. He wanted to know, will the Bolts leave immediately for Edmonton or wait till an opponent has been decided? Do we know that? Well, what we do know is there's chatter that if the Western series is not done, series, plural series, the two series out there, there is chatter that the Islanders wrap up their series as soon as tonight. They may start the Eastern series in Toronto. So th- I've seen that on on social media. I've not seen that officially from the league. But I would expect that if that is not the case and that, let's say, the Flyers win tonight so that Islander series is getting extended, I would expect that the Lightning and the winner of the Islanders-Flyers series – assuming they don't start the series in Toronto, would go to Edmonton after those two Western series are completed. And Vegas might wrap up their series tonight, but that's a guess on my part. So 
for now, the Lightning are staying in Toronto, but we should know more in the next in the next couple of days. Thank you, Alan. We appreciate that. Uh, speaking of that series between the Islanders and the Flyers, uh, any thoughts on just initially who would be a tougher matchup? I, I think for me, it just we always uh, well, at least I do. I always talk about the eye test. I think the Islanders while not as talented at the Flyers. And I think I, I told you, Dave, one of the teams I was most intrigued about was the Flyers when this whole thing started because I felt like if they get the goaltending, they're one of those teams that has a lot of skill up front, but now maybe they're defending better and all of a sudden you, you combine skill and, and sandpaper and now goaltending and you feel pretty good. But, boy, there is something about the Islanders and the way they play. You want to talk about systems and staying with the system. I mean, I, I think, look, up 3-1, the Islanders are going to win that series. I just That's my opinion. And they're going to be a tough team if that who, that's who Tampa Bay plays just because of the Barry Trotz factor. You get the sense there aren't a ton of egos on that team, not a ton of superstars, but they've bought in. Yeah. And while I think the Lightning, no doubt, are the better team talent-wise, that would be a team that, you know, uh, again, I call it the Barry Trotz factor, but it's I think it's true. Well, I think the Islanders and Flyers, as they are currently constructed, and the Flyers have undergone somewhat of a shift this year with Elaine Vigneault as their head coach, and we, we've dug into this both when the Lightning played the Flyers in that round-robin game and then since. The Flyers D up really well, too. The one difference that I saw – Let's say prior to the last game, because I think the last game was a different type of game for the Islanders and Flyers. The difference between the clubs up until the last game since the restart, the Flyers have not been able to recover when they fall behind. They've had one game where they've fallen behind this year where they've eventually grabbed the lead, but they still lost. That was a game against the, the Canadians game five I believe and the only reason I shouldn't say the only reason I mean they count but they got a major power play they were down one nothing they scored two power play goals to go up two to one but then you blink and it was three two Montreal and the Flyers never led again and they ended up losing that game the Islanders have shown a capacity to come from behind and win and they almost won game two of that series against the Flyers when they were down three nothing and tied it and got the game to overtime, and then the Flyers won. So both teams defend really well with the lead. I think the Islanders have shown they have, at least to this point, a little bit more push to their offense, which is not to say the Flyers can't play that way. And I think we saw that in the last game between the teams, which I'll get to in a second, from the Flyers. But the Islanders have shown that if you go up on them, it's not lights out. And they can really shut it down when they get a lead. So in the last game, I'm watching this game. I'm like, the Islanders don't look as tight defensively as they have been. And they weren't. The Flyers were able to break down the Islanders repeatedly in that game. And the difference was Thomas Grice. That was the second half of a back-to-back. So both teams played their backup goalie. Both backup goalies played really well. The Islanders had some good opportunities offensively also. But I thought the Flyers were more dangerous offensively. So was that because it was the second half of a back-to-back for the Islanders? Was it just one of those games? I mean, it's hard to play 
like AA plus defensive hockey just nonstop, right? <laughs> At some point, you're going to have an off game. And afterwards, sure enough, Barry Trott said that was our worst game in the playoffs. But because the Flyers made a couple of mistakes, specifically in the offensive zone, and one big one in the defensive zone that led to the first goal of the game. The other two were bad pinches by Niskanen, who's a guy we've talked about on our show in terms of his hit on Gallagher, but he was playing in the game, and he had two pinches in the offensive zone that the Islanders were able to exploit. Pajot scored in the first, and then a two-on-one, and Nelson scored in the other, and that was the difference in the game, and, and the Islanders won it 3-2. to two. So... The last game was kind of an outlier game for both teams. They were much more creative offensively and not as tight defensively. Let's see what happens tonight if that continues. But I kind of circle back to this question of execution. So I agree with you. The Islanders, and if they prevail in the series, they will be a tough matchup, and they defend very well. They are very structured, and Barry Trotz is a hell of a coach. And they've done it for long stretches already this year. They had, what, a 17-game point streak in the first half of the year playing this way. So it's not like they've all of a sudden woken up one day and said, this is how we're going to play, let's do it, and they're having kind of newfound success. This is the makeup of their team, and they are doing it at a very high level. But it's still about doing it, and you yeah. have to do it repeatedly. And what we saw in Game 4, the Islanders weren't able to, to maintain that high level. So on some level, it does come down to execution, which is what we talk about, you know, with the Lightning in a lot of these games. Can the Lightning do what they do better and and more crisply than the opposition? And sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. But generally, if you're going to execute at a high level, you're going to make life very difficult for your opponent. And that is why the Islanders, in my opinion, are having so much success. They have a very good system, but they're also playing it really well. Can they maintain it? We don't know. But to this point, They've basically had, in their coach's mind, you know, one really bad game. He didn't like their game four against the Flyers. And I thought that they they scuffled a bit in their 3-0 game against Washington. Washington really carried play in the second and third periods of that game. And, and that was the one game Washington won in that series. But for the most part, the Islanders have, have played really, really well since the restart. They have. And that would be a very interesting style because, you know, the Lightning would have to be patient. In like that. the but Columbus also, series. It yes, would be similar to that series. But also, too, the one thing about the Islanders that's always been interesting is when they do get down, for the most part, their ability to bounce back and score immediately after the other team gets a lead. I've seen that over the course of a couple of years here, and it's been fascinating to watch. But I do want to see that team... If you get a lead, how they respond, how they react, and do they have to open things up? And then, of course, we'll get into the goaltending matchup as well, because in some ways, a little bit like what we saw with Boston, that you know, you have some good goaltenders. Do you have great goaltenders? Are they playing great at the right time? Do they have to be great when they play in a system like that? It's something that we'll certainly discuss, and of course, we'll see if that truly happens tonight as the Islanders look to close things out against the Flyers. Dave, a lot of fun today. Great job calling the game yesterday. Another Eastern Conference final. Never take that for granted. It's always fun to uh, continue to further this process along. We appreciate it. We'll do it again tomorrow. Sounds good. Talk to you then, Greg. All right, that's Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. I am Greg Linelli. Thanks for listening. We'll be with you again tomorrow. Hit us up on Twitter. We've got a uh, question up there for you. Who do you want to see the Tampa Bay Lightning play in the next round? At Bolts Radio. See you tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.